If there's been one consistency throughout this pandemic, it's been the COVID-19 conspiracy theories and misinformation all over social media. One site that's seemingly done a good job of curbing this kind of content over the past year is Wikipedia, which has a team of eagle-eyed editors who strike down anyone posting conspiracy theories or pseudoscience. But these practices are being put to the test and causing some divisions within Wikipedia's community as something called the lab leak theory gains more mainstream attention. So what is the lab leak theory and how is Wikipedia handling debates around its validity? I'm Abrar El-Hiti and this is your Daily Charge. I'm filling in for Roger today and I'm joined by Jackson Ryan, who covers all things science for CNET. Welcome, Jackson. Hey, thanks for having me. This is like my first time on the Daily Charge. I'm, I'm super excited. Jackson, can you give us a quick rundown of what the lab leak theory is and how it originated? Sure. I mean, um, the, the quick rundown is that because of the uh, where the coronavirus first appeared in Wuhan in China, uh, and because Wuhan has one of the uh, largest coronavirus laboratories in the world, uh, and also a very high biosafety uh, lab there, uh, people sort of very early on in the pandemics put two and two together and they were like, well, hold on, if there's a coronavirus lab here and they're working on coronaviruses like this, could it maybe have leaked out? Could the virus have leaked out from this lab accidentally? And what kind of happened was very early on last year in in early 2020, this kind of got tangled up with like conspiracy theories. And um, because uh, at the time, um, President Trump was uh, still in office and people started to sort of tie this up with bioweapons and a little bit of uh, obviously racism and um, anti-Asian sentiment. And so the lab leak theory kind of existed on the fringes of our conversations around maybe where this coronavirus came from. But in the last, I guess, probably the last six months, it's really um, had a resurgence, not not necessarily because there's better science or more science, but I think more people have started paying attention to some of uh, what China was doing in those early days and, and whether that constitutes uh, sort of covering their tracks in some way. Now, I want to like preface that I don't really think um, it's fair for me, a, a science journalist, to come on and talk about epidemiology. I don't really think that I'm the right person for that. But the lab leak theory, um, I guess, for our audience is kind of, you've just got to think of it as it wasn't once um, an alternate hypothesis and now people are giving it a little bit more weight including you know very very big publications like the new york times washington post wall street journal when did mainstream outlets begin picking up on this theory and what effect has that had on conversations about coronavirus and its origins yeah so as i was kind of saying like many big mainstream outlets really started to pick this up in the last six months but uh i guess what a lot of um writers have science writers have kind of looked at is the piece by uh, the piece in the New Yorker magazine, which kind of really laid out the lab leak hypothesis um, in a, in a long form feature for the first time. It had a lot of readers, got a lot of buzz on social media. Now, whether or not you enjoy that article or think it's um, you, you know the, the validity of some of the theories that are presented there, it definitely pushed the um, lab leak theory into the the conversation. And there were very very good reporters writing about this last year. I'm not going to put myself in that category, but there was definitely, um, you know, um, Rowan Jacobson at Boston Magazine was doing some good work. He wrote at Mother Jones as well. So there were outlets covering it last year, but it was kind of like it was a very fraught topic. It was very obviously political. There was a lot of um, things to consider in terms of how it was presented. And now it's kind of gained popularity, I guess, 
not even necessarily because people are covering it with uh, with more evidence, but just because um, I think more people are coming to it, which, you know, in this game, in journalism, as you know, if something's getting a lot of attention, everyone starts writing about it. And um, so the theory is increasingly popular. Um, does that mean it's more likely? I don't think so. Not yet, at least. In your story, you talk about how Wikipedia has done a good job over the past year of striking down conspiracy theories and pseudoscience. So what kinds of policies and guidelines does Wikipedia have that set it apart from so many other sites that maybe haven't done as good of a job with this? Yeah, Wikipedia is like a really, really interesting entity. Like when I started researching this project, I actually didn't really understand the full breadth of, of Wikipedia's mission and, and kind of, um, you know, it's been around for 20 years, but I don't think we look at it as, we, we haven't in the past, I guess, looked at it as one of these bastions of truth. And uh, I think we've kind of maybe only in the last five years or so really started to think like, oh yeah, Wikipedia is a good place to start my research. It's always got great sourcing. Um, and I think part of that is because of their policies and guidelines have been sharpened over these last sort of 20 years or so. Um, and if you look through the site, uh, if you actually just go to Wikipedia, every single page has this tab. It's, it's a talk tab. It's right up the top on the left-hand side. And you can click this talk page and essentially you can see all the conversation that's been going around a certain article. So, for instance, I use it in our our CNET piece, I use CNET as, as an example. And behind uh, CNET's article page on the talk page, there are editors on Wikipedia basically saying like, should this page be capitalized? Should it be all caps for CNET or should it be a capital C with uh, lowercase n-e-t? And those are kind of like the discussions that usually happen on the talk page. But obviously in an area like COVID-19, those topics can be a, a lot more fraught because um, of politics, of, of different opinion, because the science is moving so quickly. And to get to your question of, you know, how they set themselves apart, I think one of the cool things I encountered talking to people about this was like, everyone really said to me, Wikipedia shouldn't work, but it does. And a crowdsourced encyclopedia shouldn't really work, but it does. And it's because of these these policies and guidelines that have been sharpened over their, their journey. Um to really include the best principles in terms of where they source things from. So if you're talking about, say, biomedical information, um, there's a certain uh, standard that must be upheld. And that's obviously different to places like Facebook or Twitter where, you know, if I post something onto my timeline, pretty much anyone can reply. They can say any, anything they want and none of that has to be sourced. Um, so Wikipedia's sourcing policies really um, sort, sorted out uh, in terms of detailing the truth. Well, and then you, you dive deep into the heated debates among Wikipedia editors over whether to include the lab leak theory in its articles. So what are the opposing arguments over whether or not this information should be presented to readers? Yeah, this has like a, a long history and I don't want to do it a disservice, you know, in a, in a short time. But essentially, uh, even ever since the pandemic began, the lab leak theory has kind of circulated. So um, there are editors very early on proposing that the major COVID-19 pandemic page, which gets something like, it's had like 80 million unique views, that kind of page doesn't actually include the words lab leak at all. So there are editors that kind of argue that we're doing a disservice to to readers that come to Wikipedia because they're not learning about, I guess, the full story. They're not, un they're not able to understand that the lab leak theory has been a significant part 
of conversation around where the virus came from. Now, that that is a, a compelling argument, and Wikipedia is really good at uh, detailing historical events. Um, if you go to the 1918 Spanish influenza page, like you'll you'll obviously find um, historical information. And if there were conspiracies that arose around that, I'd expect them to be covered there. Um, they're not covered so far in the Wikipedia page, but it's very, I find it kind of comforting that Wikipedia kind of lags behind the rest of, um, you know, the media and, and journalists and, and social media, because it gives Wikipedia a chance to kind of, um, filter really high quality sources. Now the, the opposing arguments, you know, sometimes this has become, really really heated so uh in terms of there has been things like harassment and and bullying and people being banned and and some editors see that as kind of a form of censorship that wikipedia doesn't want to present the lab leak article but of course wikipedia is just a collection of of humans so wikipedia suffers from the same problems that uh the human race does in that we all you know we all make mistakes we are prone to errors um we don't always we kind of stick to our own biases and opinions and Wikipedia tries to sort that out by coming to a, a consensus between all their editors. And uh, I think that is probably where things are at right now, that there are these two opposing arguments. Yes, the lab leak is definitely a massive, massive part of how this pandemic is being presented, but also there's not a lot of high, high quality sources that say, okay, the lab leak has this amount of evidence and this is why it should be on this page. So at the moment, there's kind of an impasse. And it's not that it's tearing Wikipedia apart, but it has the potential to do so because Wikipedia has um, su such a legion of volunteers that kind of just, you can tell if you read these these talk pages that they they seem to be just over discussing this because it's been 18 months of the same thing over and over again. I can only imagine, uh, you know, how heated those debates must become with so many people involved with so many different opinions. And for anyone who might be thinking it's just Wikipedia, what's the big deal? What does this particular struggle reflect when it comes to how other sources and outlets decide to present information on the coronavirus? Yeah, that that's such a good point because Wikipedia is actually looked to by a lot of um, you know medical professionals and they have uh, some very stringent guidelines when it comes to presenting uh, what they call biomedical information, uh, information kind of related to health. Because, for instance, um, as part of this story, I, I wrote uh, uh, about uh, one editor, uh, Neetha her, her name is, and she uh, come across this story um, in from India where uh, a TikTok video was circulating that essentially said, hey, if you eat the fruit of this plant, um, you'll be protected against COVID. And the fruit of the plant looks kind of like a coronavirus particle. It's, it's very strange. Um, it's called a Datura. And so that TikTok video circulated and it kind of like flicked a switch for Neetha where she was like, well, maybe I should present that this information is incorrect on Wikipedia because if someone, you know, sees this TikTok and then they're like, should I eat the Datura? And they end up coming to Wikipedia. She was hopeful that that information would be there and she could present that to a reader and say, like, look, the Datura doesn't work, and this is why it doesn't work, and here's the sources that tell me that Datura doesn't work. Um, and that's why it's really important to make sure that you get this right, and it's also really important to adhere to Wikipedia's policies and guidelines because they lag behind the um, the journals, the, the reliable sources like the New York Times, to, to ensure that the correct information is presented to anyone that, that 
um, lands on a Wikipedia page. And in, in an area like coronavirus, which is constantly, constantly being um, updated, it becomes a little bit more problematic because some editors might you know, have extra information. They might be right up to date with the news and others might be further behind. And, and that's where these kind of schisms start to form. But I think the ultimate consideration is always for um, around the reader's health. And that has been a huge point of contention behind the, the scenes because some editors believe that you don't need biomedical reliable sources for the coronavirus origins. You don't if if you're reading about the origins, it's not going to affect your health necessarily. And others argue that you know that could lead to you reading about other misinformation, for instance. So there are huge considerations for for the readership, and that's part of Wikipedia's core mission. Like they want to be the biggest encyclopedia in the world, and they want to be um, able to display the truth. Uh, and that that is the the most important thing for not just, you know, for this whole volunteer army of editors, they all subscribe to those same principles. It, as we know, there's a lot of content about there about coronavirus in general, uh, as well as the lab leak theory. And it can be hard to distinguish reliable information from misinformation. So for anyone who wants to learn more about the lab leak theory, what would you say about which sources to refer to and what to avoid? Oh, that's, that's such a good question and such an important question. Have you been reading about the lab leak, bro? Well, now I have, and I just watched the John Stewart interview that you had linked in your story with Colbert, and I was like, John Stewart is a very smart man, and I don't know how to feel about this now because I trust this man, but I've never heard this before, and I it seems out there. It seems kind of out there, so now I'm like, well, where do I turn to to find out the correct information about this? Yeah, that's uh, I mean that's uh, that's the best example really for me because when John Stewart came on to Colbert, uh, you know, for our audience who, who hasn't seen it, they should go go look at it. But you know, you have to be skeptical about these kind of things. For one, um, I think you know John Stewart is clearly a comedian. Uh, and he might be a, a, a news person, a newsy guy, but you can't take everything at face value these days, of course. And um, I even think some of the arguments he presented there were kind of like skewing um, the view a little bit. So on the question of, of sources, I mean, the, the, the thing that I do uh, a lot, and I, I like, I've been researching this particular area for, you know, over a year now, it's very difficult for me, someone who even has like all of the information to make a like really considered um, I guess, calculation in my head to say, okay, is the lab leak legitimate or is it not? And I think you have to always have that skeptic, skeptic's mindset where if you read something and it says like, oh, Wuhan laboratory had live bats and it's a, it's a report on, uh, say, like a, a, a right-leaning um, media outlet, just go back to the source and see where they actually trace that from and then ask someone potentially on the other side. Like you can find a lot of this information obviously on Twitter and, um, and Facebook. But if you go back to the original sources, you can start to formulate your own sort of um, ideas. And I think probably the, the sources that, you know, I'd avoid are publications that are clearly uh, leaning one way or the other because you, at the moment we just don't have enough evidence to say either way. Um, and I think if, if people aren't presenting that argument of like, look, we definitely should investigate the lab leak theory, but we don't really have any hard definitive evidence to say that the coronavirus leaked from this laboratory. We have a lot of circumstantial evidence and that requires us to look further. But the 
anyone saying that we have a definitive answer right now is is definitely pulling the wool over your eyes. So that's probably the first thing that I'd um I'd say in terms of trying to keep yourself uh, level headed uh, around this thing, even especially John Stewart. Like I love John Stewart, but like come on, we we can't be putting that kind of content out and saying that it's definitive, like that it is leaning towards a lab leak because the name of the the laboratory is the same as the virus or whatever, which isn't even true. Um, and yeah, if you can, if you can definitely stick to that kind of like mindset of, okay, I've read this and holy moly, like this seems really bad. Just, just go and read up a little bit more. Try and go back to those first sources. Obviously right now you can't go to Wikipedia, but I think in the future there will be a page on Wikipedia that essentially states the lab leak theory was a theory that uh, the coronavirus may have leaked from a lab. And this is the arguments that were for it and this were the, are the arguments for against it. We don't really know yet. Um, and uh, I think if that article gets up, then I think a lot of this bickering will probably stop. These are all really important things to keep in mind because it'll be interesting to see how this plays out in the coming months. Jackson, thank you so much for joining us. You can chat our you can check out our coverage on CNET.com. If you have any questions, hit us up on Twitter at The Daily Charge or sign up for direct text messages from Roger by heading to CNET.co slash Daily Charge. And if you like what you heard, please rate and subscribe to the podcast. It really helps us out. For The Daily Charge, I'm Abrar El Hiti. Thanks for listening.